Is man evolving or are they devolving? In this video I'm going to be doing a summary of Michael Tazarian's article called A God in Ruins. The article questions the accepted beliefs that prehistoric man was a bestial and primitive creature. It questions whether the history books are misleading and provides substantial sources to back up his scepticism. Hello, my name is Alex. On this channel I explore the psychological and spiritual fields of the human condition. No university degree, no academia, just a whole lot of study and dedication to realising the deepest foundations of reality. Michael Desarian has been a big influence on my life, so I've dedicated a small portion of this channel to summarise some of his work, in the hope that uh, other people can benefit from the knowledge that has been imparted onto me through him. So this article, A God in Ruins, starts with uh, Tazarian naming numerous scholars who have questioned the historical record, which has always been accepted by mainstream academia. Names like uh, William Blake, Julius Avola, uh, Swala Delubich, Rudolf Steiner, Helena Blavatsky. These people noting things like the pyramids of Giza and other phenomenal structures around the globe that have absolutely no record and yet have an accepted history. How can that be? How can it be that there is no official record, yet we all accept? Unlike science, which is ever-evolving, history tends to be set in stone. Academia keeps repeating the same information and it never gets questioned. So Tazarian makes a note to say that not only does academia refuse to acknowledge any alternative history, but they actively continue the narrative for their own personal gain and to climb their own academic ladder. They're not in search of the truth. All they need to do is maintain the status quo for a better career. Tazarian says, quote, they have it wrong from top to bottom. So the article then goes on to why we should believe that prehistoric man were primitive. Where has that come from? Does it make any sense to believe that in the first place? Or are we just conditioned through, once again, this historical record which basically doesn't exist? There is a quote which stood out to me. Quote, there have been a thousand holocausts which have occurred in a thousand ways and will recur both by fire and by water and by many other means. And that was in the priests of Egypt to Solon, the father of Plato. It's much more difficult now to quash alternative information about our history. The rise of technology has given seekers access to information that would otherwise be hidden. So in the 40s, we had the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, the Nag Hammadi Library, where the church and the religious scholars just did absolutely everything they can in order to keep the findings secret. And they did manage to do that for, you know, 40, 50 years or so. The article then mentions the underwater shelves around Britain, which confirm the theory of cataclysm and questions why uh, this isn't being taught in schools, because it isn't hidden. You can find this information all over the Internet. But this goes back to what we've already said about academia. It doesn't serve them to tell the truth. It serves them uh, individually to climb the academic ladder. Uh, I'll share a link in the, in the description for further research into underwater landmass around Britain. It's been labelled as Doggerland. I mean, they could have chosen a better name for that, to be fair. Tazarian then says that it's imperative that we become familiar with the controversial theories of independent scholars outside of mainstream academia. People like L.A. Waddell, John Allegro, uh, Michael Cremo, uh, Charles Hapgood, 
uh, and others. Of course, these people have been providing alternative histories for, for, for a while, but they're just simply dismissed because it doesn't fit the narrative. Another historian uh, is Ralph Ellis. You can watch a podcast I did with him. That should be up there somewhere. The article then moves into the psychological aspect of prehistoric man. Tazarian suggests that the, the common notion that they lived in sheer terror was a psychological projection, which makes complete sense if it was a rational fear in the face of like objective threats in the world. Tazarian questions whether there was also a form of reverence fear, revering the power of nature and the animal kingdom. Perhaps why shaman wear animal skins on their head, uh, pharaohs go on lion hunts. We then move into the great prehistoric monuments where the article asks about the great pyramid of Giza, as most people do. Where did it come from? Who erected it? How did they do it? It's solid proof that the ancient Egyptians knew of Cyclopean architecture and being mathematical geniuses. A quote from the article. A monkey may at some point learn how to use a tool, but isn't likely to learn how to make one from scratch, not on any sophisticated level. A profound comment when you contemplate on what that actually means, it also questions evolutionary theory in general, the Darwinist um, theory of evolution through monkeys into humans, blah, blah, blah. The Great Pyramid of Giza has two and a half million blocks of stone. The article questions why it was built. Was it honoring the race or ancestors? Was it to preserve the memory of a great king? I mean, I think personally that that has been sufficiently debunked at this point. Tazarian asked whether they were showcasing an idea and then asked what reason did they create complex symbolic languages? Our ancients must have been rational because their understanding of reality was rational. If it wasn't, then how did they build such incredible monuments with such precision? We tend to judge our ancient forefathers by today's standards, but how developed are we? A quote shared by John Anthony West, I would sooner take instructions from the builders of the Temple of Luxor than from the creators of the Napalm Bomb. Well, it's a fair point. There are numerous uh, stories from tribes across the globe speaking of truly civilized people in a golden age of, for humanity. They're also known as uh, great races, something which aligns quite closely with Helena Blavatsky's work. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Now a section from the ancient Puranas. This is quite long, but it needs to be shared uh, as it's quite an important piece of the uh, article, okay? All kings occupying the earth in the Kali Age will be wanting in tranquility, strong in anger, taking pleasure at all times in lying and dishonesty, inflicting death on women, children and cows, prone to take the paltry possessions of others with character that is mostly tamas, rising to power and soon falling. They will be short-lived, ambitious, of little virtue and greedy. People will follow the customs of others and be adulterated with them. Peculiar, undisciplined barbarians will be vigorously supported by rulers. Because they go on living with perversion, they will be ruined. And Dharma becomes very weak in the Kali Age. And people commit sin in mind, speech and actions. Quarrels, plague, 
fatal diseases, famines, drought and calamities appear. Testimonies and proofs have no certainty. There is no criterion left when the Kali age settles down. People become poorer in vigour and lustre. They are wicked, full of anger, sinful, false and avaricious. Bad ambitions, bad education, bad dealings and bad earnings excite fear. The whole batch becomes greedy and untruthful. Many sudras, meaning low caste, will become kings and many heretics will be seen. There will arise various sects, sannyasins, meaning holy men, wearing clothes coloured red. Many profess to have supreme knowledge because thereby they will easily earn their livelihood. In the Kali age there will be many false religionists. India will become desolate by repeating calamities, short lives and various diseases. Everyone will be miserable owing to the dominance of vice and the tamaguna. People will freely commit abortion. Earth will be valued only for her mineral treasures. Money alone will confer nobility. Power will be the sole definition of virtue. Pleasure will be the only reason for marriage. Lust will be the only reason for womanhood. Falsehood will win out in disputes. Being dry of water will be the only definition of land. Praiseworthiness will be measured by accumulated wealth. Impropriety will be considered good conduct and only feebleness will be reason for unemployment. Boldness and arrogance will be equivalent to scholarship. Only those without wealth will show honesty. Just a bath with amount to purification and charity will be the only virtue. Abduction will be marriage. Simply to be well-dressed will signify propriety. And any heart to reach water will be, deemed to will be deemed a pilgrimage site. The pretense of greatness will be the proof of it. And powerful men with many severe faults will rule over all the classes on earth. Oppressed by the excessive greedy rulers, people will hide in valleys behind, uh, between mountains where they will gather honey, vegetable, roots, fruits, birds, flowers and so forth. Suffering from cold, wind, heat and rain, they will put on clothes made of tree bark and leaves. And no one will live as long as 23 years. This, in the Kali age, humankind will be utterly destroyed. And that was a translation from Sanskrit by Cornelia Dimit. So that's quite damning of the uh, human race in this Kali age that we're in according to Hindu yuga cycles. Tazarian then shares numerous ancient texts, uh, including Gaelic and Norse, Check out uh, the article for these quotations. Much of the Golden Age theory is heavily ridiculed by skeptics as being a matter of animistic and magical thinking. The article then moves on to the white races who have spoken of high civilizations. You have the Nordic and the Finnish texts speaking of so-called Arctic homeland, also known as the Ultumathula also known as Hyperborea in the ancient Greek, meaning the extreme northern paradise. I also suggest listening to the Unslaved podcast episode on the Arctic homeland. It was one of the, um, I think it was one of the first five or six episodes, if, if I remember correctly. You'll have to go through the archives, but that was an excellent podcast episode that I suggest people listen to. According to some people, the idea of future enlightened civilizations 
very often seen in the new age communities nowadays is a will to return to the womb of the mother, meaning a return to comfort and peace. According to the Platonists, the earlier the epoch, the more sophisticated and tranquil the civilization. This aligns well with Helena Blavatsky's theory of the seven root races. It has peaks and troughs in consciousness. It very closely follows the yuga cycles of the Hindu philosophy. One scholar mentioned in the article is Alexander Tom. Tom was a Scottish engineer uh, who found contrary evidence to the mainstream narrative on the construction of megalithic sites. Tom said that mathematical precision of these sites, particularly in Britain and Ireland, were exceptional. He proved the sites to be aligned with the stars uh, and the constellations. Tom said that the precision of these sites got less accurate the further east you went. This theory is basically saying that the sites were created earlier in the west uh, and then migrated over to the east. The more precision, the earlier the sites. A quote by Tom in his book, Megalithic Sites in Britain. It is remarkable that a thousand years before the earliest mathematicians of classical Greece, people in these islands, the British Isles, not only had practical knowledge of geometry and were capable of setting out elaborate geometrical designs, but could also set out ellipses based on Pythagorean triangles. Tazarian says that, as usual, Alexander Tom's theories have been completely ignored, much like Ralph Ellis, who I interviewed uh, a couple of months ago. Ellis, amongst many others, are proponents on the west to east migration, particularly surrounding the fields of mathematics, astronomy and construction. The article then lists a number of writers who have shown that uh, man-made structures from all over the world realigned not only to each other, but the sun, planets, stars, eclipses, constellations. And some of these sites are tens of thousands of years old. And for humans to learn such advanced mathematics means the human knowledge must precede these structures. Michael Cremo, for example, found evidence of sophisticated humans dating back millions of years. Check out his book, Human Devolution, to, to have a look at that work. So what is it that is stopping the intellectuals from looking into this alternative history? Tazarian believes that it's fear. What if this theory of spiritual decline is actually correct and the intellectuals are wrong? What would happen to their livelihood? What would happen to their sense of self after realising that their entire life's work has been thrown up into the air and it's completely unknown? It takes enormous courage to look at alternative work like that uh, which po most people don't have that courage. Tazarian asks whether the technological age is a mask for our spiritual decline and invites us to look at the current relationship with nature and animals. In my opinion, that's proof of spiritual degradation. It can't be argued that historically nature has been treated with such high reverence. And now, while we are so occupied with technological advances, nature has been ripped apart for money, just for the bottom line and profit. A quote from the article. For all of our technical prowess and expertise in so many fields, we know inwardly that we're fatally, emotionally and spiritually impoverished. The article then considers the health of modern man. Our immune systems are on the floor, 
look what's happened over the last 12 months. Our overall health has never been worse. Why and how are there so many different ailments, pathogens and cancers? Tazarian asks why, whether this is a, a sign of an impoverished soul. It certainly raises a lot of questions and needs deeper consideration. We don't even consider these things. Is that a sign of spiritual degradation? It seems it. Why aren't we considering it in academia? Astronomy is another example. Jean Sylvan Bailey discovered that a single homogeneous community of expert astronomers must have lived in Europe uh, or the Near East for at least 100,000 years. And this raises the question about how far back in history do we actually need to go to get anywhere near accurate answers uh, regarding human history? Because we only really know six, 7,000 years ago. What about before? What about the, the Nazca lines in Peru? You can only see them when you're in an aeroplane. What about the hieroglyphics and that other ancient languages? What about the sarcophagi in Egypt and, and Malta, which baffles the brightest engineers to this day? The Baalbek stone in Lebanon and many stone at the Great Pyramid that cannot be lifted even today by any modern crane. Tazarian points out that the red granite under the Sphinx came from hundreds of miles away. There isn't an engineer or uh, Egyptologist on the planet right now that can explain how they were cut and transported to Giza. Tazarian asks about the, the complex mining in Africa 100,000 years ago, the cave art from at least 90,000 years ago, and quote, What about the piece of woven cloth found inside a nugget of amber dating back 25 million years? Why isn't this all over the news? Why don't we know this in mainstream university? There is another quote shared by Jocelyn Godwin. Julius Evola believed that humanity is not the result of the ascent of man from mammals, but of a separate origin better called a descent, and the summit from which humanity has degenerated. It was destroyed in a catastrophe probably due to a change in the inclination of the Earth's axes. That's a very intriguing idea, because there's magnetic shifts going on right now too. What if we are devolving and not evolving as the Darwinian process has been telling us for, for hundreds of years? What if everything's backwards? And this is what this article essentially does. Scholars who propose the theory of, of devolution suggests that modern science is a tiny remnant of a much broader wisdom. They believe that we have descended from highly advanced predecessors whose understanding of the cosmos far exceeds modern man and therefore science today is minuscule in comparison to what it was. And in closing, Tazarian once again asks what would happen if this theory was taken seriously? If we are in a prolonged spiritual declination, when does that end? Is it when we destroy ourselves? Will that be the last great high humanity has before its own inevitable cataclysm? If you want to listen to my conversation with Ralph Ellis, who was mentioned a couple of times in this article, um, once again, that should be up here somewhere, Ralph talks about the West to East migration and also puts uh, biblical stories into the historical record, which is a fascinating conversation we had.
Be sure to check out the article itself. You're going to pick up things I've missed, I'm sure. Also, check out the, the other summaries in this playlist that I've put together. Hit that subscribe button for more content similar to this. And remember, your attention is incredibly sacred. Spend it wisely.